Okay, actually, I'm gonna take one a picture when you're not looking. Okay, that's probably a good idea. I have to go one where my forehead doesn't look so shiny. <laughs> my fucking head! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's just going to dirt on it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there we go. Like spitting on my eye and rubbing it. <laughs> oh, I, look, I look fucking stupid. And... This lighting! This is not good lighting. It's not professional lighting. Yeah, it's a lighting. Yeah. Hey you, and welcome! Guess who I am joined by once again? It's Keith, back by popular demand. Keith, so we recorded uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago. Yep. All about the Hammersmith ghost murder. Ooh. I haven't slept since. I haven't Terrified. slept since. No, it's been some scary shit. Um, yeah, so we did that. And um, yeah, people said... You were you were pretty good. They said we had chemistry together. I feel I'm feeling some chemistry right now, my friend. Yeah, man, feeling right across the table. So I said, "How about you know? I'll throw a dog a bone here. I'll have you back for another episode of that chapter podcasts." You know, I I don't even think actually I explained in the in the episode we recorded that I actually know you really really well. I, I just had you on and said, "This yeah, is yeah. cute." <laughs> I didn't tell them we just why dove you, straight in. No, we did. I did not say why you were on. How I know you, who you are, other than uh, you're that's a man, do it, man. Straight in, no kissing. Absolutely raw dog, bro. So that's what we did. Um, so I guess we should kind of fill everybody in who's listening. Um, who you are? Maybe let's let's get to know because I feel like you know they know me quite mm. well. I've been making content since 2017. This is five and a half years now Jeez, at yeah. the launch of this podcast. When people are going to be hearing this, I'll be making content for five and a half years. Mm. Long, long ass mother heckin' time. If, excuse my French. You're the rookie. Yes. Uh, which I like. I like. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, I guess, first of all, I know you pretty well. I would say I've known you for about 30 years. Pretty much our whole lives, I think it is. Pretty, pretty much, good. yeah. We've been friends. Best mate. Dare I even say best friends? For about 30 years. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I've known Keith for that long. We actually were next door neighbors. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we are just, well, you're a year older than me, but we're about the same age. And then when I was like, that's so I'm going to so throw your fucking phone so at the fucking window if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how we know each other. Yep. So Keith, what are we talking about today? Today, this is a hell of a story. When you send it off to me, it's got a, it's got a bit of everything. It's mm. got, um, it's got Satanism. Uh huh. It's I like it. got uh, some heavy metals. Oh. It's got some house parties. Nice. It's got uh, murder, murder. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit, it's a fucked up case. It's it is. Uh, about a guy called Pazuzu. Pazuzu Algarad, the Devil Man. The Devil himself, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's not how he was born, though. His no? birth name was. John Lawson. I mean, you can kind of see why he would change his name to Pazuzu Algarad. John Lawson. Wah, wah. It's not a name you remember. It means it's not a it's not a name you'd remember. It's a fine name. It's a strong name. Yeah. Bit boring though. I mean, John Pazuzu. It needs Lawson bit, Algarad. Come on. Needs a bit more pizzazz. Bit more Pazuzu. Oh, <laughs> very nice. I see what you did, <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> So, Pazuzu Algarad, a.k.a. John Lawson, was born as a single child in San Francisco in August 1978 to father Timothy Lawson and mother Cynthia, also Lawson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was her name? Checks out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Makes sense so far. 
So the small family, which was John, his parents, Timothy and Cynthia, they moved to Winston-Salem. God's country. What is? Just out there in North Carolina. What? <laughs> I don't know where he was. Okay, <laughs> if you say so. What? Just the way you said that was really odd. <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah. Cut that. Part of the Bible Belt, right? Uh, North, I think so, yeah. North, I guess North Carolina. Southern states, sure. Yeah. That area is definitely like real conservative. And, yeah, mm, I'd say a lot of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah, moving on. So they moved there. Anyway, <laughs> in 1980, uh, they moved there as Cynthia. She had some, she was originally from there. She has some family in North Carolina. And things seemed to be going well, uh, the young family, you know, all was good, at least for John. Uh, he was highly involved in sports, uh, baseball, football, and he seemed to be, he, he had a lot of friends with a lot of children. So, so far, so good. A normal, normal ass all-American boy. Keith, hot question. Will the yeah. story stay this way, though? I assumed that was the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we're just going to pull out of here. Good night. Good night. <laughs> But there was turbulence in the relationship between mother and father, which ended in the two of them getting a divorce in 1990, when John, aka Pazuzu, was 12 years of age, which is a hard age for a kid to, for you know, parents to split up, I guess, yeah. you know, in your early teens. Apparently, Timothy, he moved back to his native state of California, and soon he gave up all his connections, uh, basically anything he had with his son. He basically fucked off completely. He was like, check please, I'm out of here. Pazuzu, John. I don't know if I should call him Pazuzu or John. I'm just going to stick with Pazuzu because it's it's more memorable. So, Pazuzu. Yeah, yeah. He was hit hard by this betrayal. And he soon turned to alcohol by the age of 13 years old. He became violent, though, uh, unfortunately. Up to the point that Cynthia sent her son to the Reynolds Health Center. And this was in Greensboro, North Carolina, to get him some mental health care that, that she believed he needed. He was basically bouncing off the walls at... 13 years old and he had an alcohol problem before he was even a teenager. Yeah, I think he was like drinking, uh, he was consuming a 12 pack a day, a 12 pack of beer a day. Really? Yeah, wow, that's a lot of 13. beer. Yeah. Well, is it like, are they the small mm, cans or the tall boys? That's true. Are they tall boys or bitch cans? Yeah. Interesting question. Mm. I mean, I am 32 years of age. I feel like I would have a hard time doing a 12 pack of beer a day. Give it a good go, though. I would try. Fair play to him, though. You know what? He's actually, he's impressing even me now <laughs> with his ranking. <laughs> However, he was soon discharged from the healthcare facility without any further treatment plan necessary. Not usually the best thing. You kind of want to go out with a plan. Maybe just even stay away from drink. Yeah. Nope, none of that. He'll be great. You know, he's, he's slapped the hood on that bad boy. He's good to go. That's essentially what they said. Now, Pazuzu, he was left home alone uh, quite often, which... Already, we got a problem here. Uh, he was sometimes minded by neighbors, and the neighbors believed that Cynthia, she didn't only leave her son at home to attend to work, her job, but also to have a social life <gasps> and meet a man. <gasps> oh my days. Oh my god. The scandal. The disgrace. I know Pazuzu's mother, she actually had a friend called uh, Carmen Duke. She was one of her friends. And she once said that where she used to babysit John when he was younger. So between like the age of five and ten. Pazuzu. Pazuzu, sorry. He used to... Yeah, oh my God. Now I'm getting confused. But he was. Uh, she used to babysit Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Uh, from the age of five to ten. And he loved watching scary movies. Yeah, but like there were like real violent ones. Like 
for that age group. Like, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist, this sort of stuff. Why was she showing her? She's the adult. <laughs> Why was Why she letting him watch she, these movies? She was babysitting. Yeah, she exactly. should be in charge. We'll see a lot about this later, but he's, I guess he had a way with people. And he, he had this kind of like magnetic personality. He could probably talk his way out of like anything and probably could manipulate her into doing whatever the heck he wanted. As so, he was left alone a lot of the time. His, he wasn't carefully monitored. And so his alcohol consumption continued, surprisingly, without some kind of treatment plan. He just kept drinking. At this point, uh, it seems he had to repeat second grade. He was a poor student and he had learning problems. And his classmates started to pick on him and he, he became an outcast in, in the school. And the fact that he was an only child, that didn't exactly help. He soon, he turned to drugs and alcohol and he started to skip classes even more than ever before. And he was talking about, you know, the betrayal of his father, his father leaving him at such a young, such a young age that he never really got over it. Bring it up all the time and basically how it made him feel like shit and how he was thinking about, thinking about self-harm and suicide and, and that kind of stuff. As he was essentially in kind of a death spiral at a very, very young age, very young teenage, his very young teenage years. He was definitely an outcast at this point, mm. and he was—he was the weird kid in class. I know, like ar around his time, it was when he started getting into Satanism as well. He kind of started dabbling in it. Oh yeah! I think at this time he was interested more in the magic side of things. Um, so he would often tell kids in his class that he could control the weather. Uh, so the the magic element of it, I think, what might have drew him to the the Church of Satan and the writings of that the founder uh, Anton Levey. Yeah, Anton Levey. Yeah, yeah. maybe he could magic his dad back into his life. Or <laughs> <laughs> he was trying. Uh, yeah, exactly. He made friends with kids who were on the rebellious side. You know, they would hang out at places no one went. You know, ruined places, derelict buildings. They would spray paint stuff, and maybe even dare I say, dare I say it, spray paint. Six, six, followed by another six. Ooh, the number of the devil. Number of the beast. The number of the beast. They, would, they would do pentagrams. Ooh, Ooh. Scary stuff, dude. Hardcore. Dare I say this is hardcore stuff. And people in school even got the nickname Diablo. Ooh. Ooh. He's messing with stuff he doesn't understand. Mm, he's messing. You're too young, kid. You don't understand what you're doing. Well, man. Scary stuff, scary stuff. So it didn't come as a surprise that due to his lack of enthusiasm and poor studies, he had to repeat the ninth grade. He did not finish it though, and he dropped out of school, apparently due to him developing agoraphobia, which made him incapable of, of leaving his house. Like, I know he said he left, he le like, he left school because he was so anxious all the time. Guy was drinking like 12 beers a day. He probably had the fear or anxiety. Exactly. Well, he definitely had the fear. He was in a self fulfilling cycle i think where he would drink 12 beers a day a 12 pack you know 12 pack a, a rack of beers a day to keep his phobias under control so that he could function but the beers were giving him the phobia at the same time because yeah. he would just be hung over this constant state of drunk slash hangover the entire time and having as we call it the fear when your anxiety is true so he wasn't not a good way to be in Really, just, just, just stop it. In 1998, Cynthia remarried, though, to a Johnny Larry James. And the tree, they lived together at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Winston-Salem. Johnny, he must have uh, been very much in love with Cynthia to get involved with this old sitch. But then again, his parents also named him Johnny Larry. So, probably didn't have many options, to be honest. I mean, not a lot of options. Johnny Larry. All right. Johnny and Pazuzu, they did not get on well, uh, not surprisingly. Um, 
what are the odds? You know, they, like, there's not really a whole lot of information about what was going on between the two of them, but the dispute got so bad at one point that Cynthia had to decide between her husband and her son. She chose the latter. So, Johnny, he was out the door, he got his walking marks on, walking shoes on, and said, Okay. He was out the door. It was a bad choice. It was a very bad choice by Cynthia. She definitely should have chosen Johnny Larry. Uh, man, this will not end well for her. In 2002, though, he legally, John Lawson, he legally changed his name to Pazuzu Illa Algrid due to his religious beliefs. Now, Keith, do you know what any of those words mean in ancient texts? I don't. Go ahead. Tell me. All right, I'll tell you. So he was following the, he was following parts of an ancient Assyrian uh, religion. So this is very old stuff. This is like almost pre-biblical stuff. And in those religions, Pazuzu was believed to be the demon that controlled the winds of the west and the southwest, which brought famine, extreme storms, and locusts. I feel they had a demon for everything back then. Oh man, they loved it. They loved their demons. But he was also a protector of people who honored him. So if you honored him, he had your back. But if he didn't, no one. Now, Bazuzu is not the strongest demon of all the ones in the Assyrian religion, but he did. He, but he was the one represented most in modern-day pop culture. Bazuzu is also the demon that is in the movie The Exorcist. Ila means God in Arabic or or Lord, like God, but not like capital G God, like lowercase G God. And Algrad means locusts. So his name was Pazuzu, which is the god of locusts, mm -hmm. then god of locusts. You know what I mean? Like, makes yeah. no sense. It's, it's also good to keep in mind that this guy dropped out of school, got all Fs. And it's interesting that Algrad picked this specific demon and um, this these religious connotations, because this was just after 9-11, and, you know, fear of people from the Middle East would have been pretty high, especially in North Carolina, where it's very Christian, heavily Christian, so it's like... He was really trying to piss people off, I think, at this stage. It's, yeah, it's like Islamophobia was it was rampant at that time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, he even started dressing in, like, Middle Eastern garb, and he, he told people that his family was from Iraq. Right. So they were probably were not too keen on that when he would tell people that uh, down in Winston-Salem. Yeah, he told people as well that he was a Muslim. You, you, know, mm. you can't be a Satanist and a Muslim. No, I, they, I don't think they would get on very much at all. It's very contradictory. And you can't drink 12 beers a day and call yourself a Muslim eater. That's, that's just silly. It's kind of like a bit of a no-no for them, I understand. He was literally just doing it to be extreme, dude. Hardcore. He was literally just being a contrarian and just going out of his way to do what he knew would piss people off. He was an edgelord. He was an edgelord. That's exactly what he was. He was an edgelord. So essentially, he was just trying to rebel against everything that was around him, the community pretty much the entire world. So the Church of Satan actually came out about this and they had to give a statement distancing themselves from Pazuzu's actions. And mm. they said people like Pazuzu Algard are devil, worshiper, de devil worshippers and calling themselves or otherwise give Satanists a bad name. Ooh, I mean, the last thing you want to do is give Satanists a bad name, right? right? Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's essentially, though, what, what Pazuzu was trying to be. He was trying, he was try the one trying to get the bad name. He was going head-to-head -head against society and, and its norms. So eventually, the house on Knob Hill Drive, it became a hotspot for misunderstood youth who were lost, and they needed to, uh, to find a place to feel accepted. 
Everything Goes was how they would feel accepted, I guess. Drugs, sex, manipulation, and mayhem became the major themes of the get-togethers held by Pazuzu. Now, he had an aura and a charm about him that made people, you know, he met... They just needed to follow him. He just, he had this, this magnet, magnetism about him. Uh, and he would, he would use that to his nefarious ends. He would try to manip manipulate people into participating in orgies, taking part in his rituals that he would just invent, that he probably saw in a movie somewhere, and so on and so forth. And you know what I say to that? Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Sounds pretty sweet. Every month, during the full moon, he would have his black moon rituals, where he would sacrifice a small animal, mostly a rabbit, and smear the animal's blood on himself, sometimes even consuming some of it. Him and the followers of his self-created religion would also drink blood from each other. And, you know, it's interesting as well that a lot of people kind of followed him, went to his parties, and generally just hung out with him, because he stopped completely taking care of his hygiene. Uh, he would have a bath or wash himself once a year. He stopped brushing his teeth altogether. He said that he, the reason why he did this was that his body's defense would against harm, against mm. good. Yeah. Yes, because I mean he was a devil, so like and a demon. So what did he think was going to harm him if he's right. already a demon? Yeah. This makes no sense already. But he believed that his body's defense against harm would be stripped away if he if he cleaned himself. So he's basically just trying to just cover himself in shit, literal shit. And yeah, he was he was rough looking. Yeah, I think it's you know in Predator when Arnold's Dutch. Yeah. He covers himself in mud so yeah. that the predator won't see him. Yeah. He was doing that, but with shit. That's the best way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Even the tide wouldn't take him out. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> and his drinking habit didn't get any better, surprisingly. Uh, it required him like an alcoholic more and more. You know, you got to keep open that dosage of alcohol to keep him in a quote-unquote calm state, which is usually just called alcoholism and mental illness. So, in 2003, after he was convicted of a DUI, he was sent for a psychological evaluation. And it was found that he had, surprise, surprise, alcohol dependence, social phobia, and panic disorder with agoraphobia. He was prescribed some medication that he was, of course, not taking at all properly. And after the initial two-month psychiatric clinic treatment, he did not seek any continuation of it. And so, basically, things stayed the way they were. Again, no surprise. And the place and the people in it were falling apart even more and more with every with every day. The whole house on Knob Creek Hill started to rot, like literally rot away. And the outside world had no idea just how bad the situation was. The front of the house, it, it seemed fine. But once you opened the black painted door, the smell of piss, dog shit, and B.O. was pretty overpowering. It's very nice little fermentation they had they had going on there. Yeah. And remember, his mother, Cynthia, she chose to stay in that house. She had the option of escaping yeah. with, what's his name, Johnny Larry or whatever. Yeah, yeah. She said no. F that is. Yeah. She was she was in this house the entire time, like just in her bedroom, reading her friggin' Agatha Christie shit while there was like the most grotesque orgies going on just below her. And she's like having a cup of tea. That was one of the wildest things while I was reading through this was... As you're saying, like the smell of the house, stank of urine, there was human feces. Some people just 
Papa Taking squat. a squat. Papa squat. Hey, you gotta go. You gotta go. Animal sacrifices. There was just dead animals and blood everywhere. The dishwasher that was filled with weapons. And wow. There was like I said, orgies going on, and this whole time I, I had to keep reminding myself that his mother was in the next room <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mom, go back to your room. Yeah. <laughs> Try to have a party. There was writing on the front door that said, No gang members allowed. Anyone that dresses the same, has the same badge, and calls themselves the authorities of a land they did not create, they only seized through terrorism, has no permission to enter this land, unless you are a native, since this is their land. Since this is the first amendment of your fake laws, for we see you are guilty until proven innocent. If you can make the laws, so can we. So be it. And the walls, they became covered in writings and drawings, pictures of demons, satanic, satanic symbols. Lots of symbolism. Lots of symbolism. Lots of symbolism. There was, uh, there was the pentagrams, there was inverted crosses. For some reason, there was uh, the, the swastika. Lots of swastikas mm. around the place. I think the whole, it's like, it's the same, they went with the swastika and like Nazi shit. For the same reason they went with devil shit. They just knew it would piss people off, and it was just shock value. Exactly. They're just trying to be, as you said, edgelords the entire time. Mm. And yeah, that's exactly what went for Pazuzu. He got multiple homemade tattoos. He got satanic symbols and names written all over his body, his face. You, you guys want to look at pictures of him? You'll see he's covered in, in tattoos. He went so far as to sharpen his teeth like a, I don't know, like a vampire or some bullshit. You know, drinking drugs, loud music, constant occurrence. The place started to fill up with rubbish. Scum. Decaying animal carcasses in the garden. That would actually become a problem, uh, not only because of the smell of dying animals in your garden, but because dogs would dig them up all the time and start munching away at them. In 2008, Pazuzu was convicted of a misdemeanor larceny and was sentenced to probation. Then, in October 2009, he applied for social welfare on the basis of his crippling agoraphobia, which even stopped him from picking up his own welfare. So Cynthia would be the payee for his social welfare checks while he was at home sculling racks basically the entire time. Having a great old time, partying and doing all sorts of weird shit. Living the dream. Mm. But however, Cynthia, his mother, his... <laughs> I feel so sorry for this one. Oh, no. Her going around picking up these checks for Pazuzu uh, became... Like you, like I felt sorry for her as well, but she really is an enabler. She is, yeah, exactly. She's, she's not helping. Yeah, She's kind of a shitty mother, to be honest. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Can I say that? Is that the Irish? Yeah, it's a strong stance to take. It's pretty strong. Hey, listen. I take no prisoners. You know me. <laughs> this is the mug zone. Take no prisoners. <laughs> no, she was... I feel sorry for her, generally. Um, but yeah, her becoming a payee for his checks, that became a problem in May 2010 when he attacked her after a fight about his social welfare. He jumped at her like a cougar in the living room. He put her in a chokehold and he held her until she went limp. He was convicted for that at the end of July 2010, assault, and he was once again placed on probation. Cynthia was once again attacked in September 2010, but this time it wasn't by Pazuzu. This time she was attacked in her own home by his quote-unquote wife, Pazuzu's wife, Amber Birch, and she was sentenced to 12 months probation. Two months later, she got into trouble with the law when it was reported she assaulted Pazuzu. Who reported that? I wonder. I'm very curious to know who reported that she attacked him. Because it wasn't Pazuzu. Can't imagine Pazuzu would go to the cops. But, as you can see, the situation in the house was getting more and more out of control. It was a, it was a pressure cooker that was about to blow up. 
it was getting very weird. I, there was a report as well of there was a woman. Her name was Sylvia LeBeau. Um, she was actually the daughter of a preacher. Um, and Sylvia, she she didn't want anything to do with Pazuzu, and and his lifestyle. But somehow he was able to make her come inside her his his house one night, and there Pazuzu forced her to watch a highly disturbing homemade porn, which involved himself. Um, Stare at the show. Yes, yeah, like, I I can't imagine coming and saying, like, hey, check out this video. <laughs> yeah, you're going to like this one. What are you going to, you like that? So things really came to a head in 2010 when the body of Joseph Chandler, 30 years old, who had been missing for a couple of days, was found on the 7th of June in Donaha Park near a boat ramp. He had a gunshot wound to the head. The people charged with shooting Joseph Chandler, one Nicholas Pasquale Rizzi, and Pazuzu Algarat. But what were they charged with? Well, involuntary manslaughter. Well, Rizzi was, anyways. Pazuzu was charged with accessory after the fact of involuntary manslaughter. Nicholas Rizzi and Joseph Chandler were, by the way, so the shooter and the victim, were some of the guys who would party with Pazuzu Algarat. So it's not surprising this eventually ended up with somebody getting shot in the head. The claim was, you know, when this... All came to light, the investigation began, they just said they were fooling around. We're just having a dang old good time, you know, with a gun. In the very early hours of the 7th, shooting at the river and vegetation when, uh-oh, mistake, Joseph got shot in the head. But Sheila Chandler, who was the mother of the victim, believed her son was chosen by men, most likely Pazuzu, and murdered in cold blood during one of their sick rituals. It had escalated and escalated to the point... Somebody was killed. And you know, he, he Pazuzu, he loved manipulating people and getting them to act out his his desires. He felt powerful being able to control people. So the end result of that is often murder. But after this, after Pazuzu was found guilty of being an accessory, he was sent away and he had a forensic psychiatric evaluation in which he was found to have no signs of psychosis. When he was in uh, care of the hospital, he was given lorazepam, which is a medication for short-term anxiety issues, but no other medications were given to him. And they said, well, you get. off you go, off you go, once again. This guy just keeps slipping through the cracks. Completely, like he was once again diagnosed with his, what he'd already been diagnosed with, plus schizotypal personality disorder, which is not the same as schizophrenia. But essentially, he had all these mental conditions, including they just added another one. Mm. But they still led, all right, off you go, off you trot. <laughs> However, while he was held in that hospital, he voiced his fear of not being able to leave before his next black moon ritual. He was trying to leave the institution for a day uh, just so he could do the ritual he needed to be there for it. 
he promised he would come back afterwards. And Cynthia, his mother, also told the doctors that she feared her son would harm himself if he couldn't take part in his monthly ritual. Look, I'm not crazy. You just need to let, let me out for a night to kill a rabbit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back after. I'll be, I, I swear. I'll be back. I swear. At the end, he was released from the hospital to await his court appearance with a note recommending that he should be followed closely by the holding jail and he should have a release plan in which mental health treatment be made mandatory. Nicholas Rizzi, who was determined to be the shooter, shooter probably manipulated by Pazuzu into doing it, he was sentenced uh, to a maximum of one year and four months. Zuzu, once again, you guessed that he got probation. Also, no treatment plan was deemed mandatory at the end. Madness. Yeah, exactly. The recommendations from the hospital. Nah, that is fine. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm sure he's not a danger. Yeah. Let's let him out and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, he's been living in a fucked up house. He's got very many mental health issues and somebody has now been killed. Probation and... Yeah, he's good to go. <laughs> and it turned out that for over a year prior to Joseph's death, some people were already getting suspicious of Pazuzu. They had been since 2009, for a while. He would boast, and he would brag that he had killed people before. Now, most of the people, they just thought he was bullshitting, just trying to seem hardcore. But some people believed he was speaking the true truth, especially when two men went missing from the area. See, it all started in August 2009 when a concerned daughter, Tarina Billings, contacted police regarding a possible homicide that took place in 2749 Knob Hill Drive, Zuzu's house. Her father, Alan Billings, was said to have been present at the address when he allegedly observed a dead body in the basement. He told his daughter about what he had seen. He also said that for odor elimination reasons, some cat litter and chlorine had been used, but they didn't have any effect, and he could still smell the decaying flesh. Now, that litter does not help with smells at all. In fact, I would argue it probably just makes it worse. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Cat litter. You're just covering smell on smell. Yeah, exactly. It stinks. But when questioned by the police, Alan Billings, you know, the guy who allegedly saw a dead body, when the police asked him, he said, no, don't know what you're talking about. Did not see nothing. Especially, definitely didn't help anybody bury nobody. But he did say that Pazuzu told Alan he had shot a man 10 times with an assault rifle and that Pazuzu then dismembered the body and buried parts of it in a shallow grave just outside his basement door. So the police decided to follow up on this. Hmm. They went knock, no knock. Yeah, <laughs> finally, they went knock, knock, knock on his door. And guess what happened? Well, the police said, have an inquiry, couple of, hey, hey, hotshot, couple of questions about uh, your house, maybe some dead bodies there. Also smells a bit weird here. Also, there's a weird note on your front door. Are you aware of this? Did you write that? Bit weird. Your house, a little bit strange. But you know what? Let's move past it. I'm not one to judge. Quick question about a possible murder in your house that maybe somebody may have said they seen, but may be denying it. So did you shoot and kill a man in your house, dismember them, and then bury the body in your back garden? True or no true? Not true. There you go. That's exactly what he said. Not true. And then the police said, Good enough for me. Yep. And then they left. <laughs> that was that. Yeah, they didn't even like wander around the house, have a look around, snoop around. Nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing like that. The, the, the landlord in Ace Ventura did a better job than the police did <laughs> in this case. Ventura. 
Yes, Satan. Yeah, well, that's very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so nothing happened until police received two anonymous emails in September 2010 regarding Pazuzu and his wife, Amber. According to the messages, the two picked up a homeless man from a gas station, took him home, had drinks with him, and then shot him in the head. Then, in 2011, Stacy Carter reported her ex-fiancé, Joshua Wetzler, was missing. He had actually been seen last in June 2010 at Stacy's residence. Um, now, it wasn't surprising for Josh to be gone for a while, but never, never this long. And it turned out that his mother, with whom he had been in you know, regular contact with, she, she hadn't heard from him either. And he also missed the birthday of uh, their son, the son he had with, with Stacy. Now, Stacy initially, she thought he'd gone into hiding, that he'd, he'd ran away uh, during his probation. He was on probation because, a year before, he was arrested for ordering magic mushrooms via, via the post, which, which, which is a felony. He was placed on probation, as it was his first ever charge. Literally, trying to do something illegal, being caught, so you can't do it. He just spiraled out. It's just one of those things, once you make one bad decision, this can, like, cascade into a series yeah. of worse and worse decisions. And I guess that's how he ended up in the same circle as Pazuzu. Just, unfortunately, it just started off small. I know, um, like, only, like, uh, something like six years prior or something, like, Joshua and, or Josh and Stacy, they'd, they'd been in a pretty good place. Uh, they bought... They bought, they bought a farm like a horse farm. They were looking to do that, but the the banks kind of fucked them over a little bit. Uh, fuck the banks out of the game. Yeah, and then what happened then? So she moved in with her, or she moved to a different farm to to get work there. He moved into a trailer to make bit uh, to make a bit of money because she was pregnant to make a bit of money. He started talking about like selling weed just to, uh, just to make some sort of money. Yeah, and she didn't want her their son around that, so she's like, no, so. And it was just from that, the weed, the mushrooms, and then... And then he got a felony charge, then and then spiraled even worse yeah. from there. Uh, yep, he, he got depressed, he, his drug use got stronger and stronger. He, his house had had no running water, no electricity, because he fell behind on bills. And as you said, that's how he befriended Pazuzu Algarad. And then, guess what? Like a lot of Pazuzu's friends, he was gone. Yep, didn't end well. Yeah, a few months after he was last seen, his car was found by a trooper, the car was parked illegally, the window rolled down, the key still in the ignition. Finally, after multiple sources reported alleged murders were happening at, the, at that house on Knob Hill Drive, a search warrant was issued for Pazuzu's house. And three different law enforcement units showed up, one being the cadaver dogs, which got no results. The dogs couldn't get a positive reaction to um, any of the bodies. Anything basically being pre present in the in the garden. Um, I think now I understand why Pazuzu was covering everything with shit. You know, crazy like a fox, ah. my friend, because the dogs couldn't smell anything because the whole place smelled like death. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't narrow it down. And so months were passing by once again, everything staying in the same dysfunctional and vile way. Then came the 11th of August 2010 when Cynthia herself went to the police station requesting to be seen by a detective about a murder that had happened in her house. See, she said that sometime in the second half of 2009, a man whom she just knew under the name of Tommy was at her property partying with Pazuzu and his wife Amber. Cynthia said she was in her room when she heard a loud shot that she wanted to investigate. She went into the living room where she saw Amber holding a rifle and Tommy flopped out on the couch. 
Amr then told her to go back into her room as there was nothing for her to see. Cynthia wisely complied. She said then that sometime later another woman, whom she knew as Dixie, aka Dixie Ross, showed up at the property. Cynthia said that at some point she looked at her window and she saw Amber and this Dixie, this Dixie chick, hey, <laughs> uh, digging a hole in the backyard. Now, who was this Tommy and who is this Dixie? Well, as it turned out, the above-mentioned Tommy was Tommy Welsh, a 36-year-old man who was last seen on the evening of the 3rd of October 2009. He had spent his evening with his family. He was actually due to meet them again that night before he disappeared. He was last seen on a gas station's CCTV about 1.4 miles drive away from Pazuzu's house. Probably just popped over to Pazuzu. Maybe he was a professional skier, if you know uh -huh. what I mean. <laughs> Let the record show I'm doing my... Holding my nose doing the cocaine gesture. <laughs> or he was doing the... Let the record show I'm doing the weed gesture. Puffing the Mary Jane. Puffing the Mary, Mary Jane, boy. He was reported missing the next day, but he wasn't found for years. Because after Cynthia told the police all this, guess what the police did? Nothing at all. My God. They had just been to the house with the dogs and they found nothing. So what's this crazy old bitch talking about? Every time that was I think the police can't drop the ball any lower. Oh, they they done you again. She went up and said, I seen a man being shot. And they essentially said, look, man, these are what are called your problems. And it wasn't until Matthew Flowers, a longtime friend and acquaintance of Zuzu, went to police on the 26th of September 2014 14, to report about a murder and burial at Zuzu's house. So, like, there's been quite a number of incidents with years in between and nothing has happened. Like, we're in 2014 now, and this started in 2009. Now, Matthew, as I said, he was a longtime friend and colleague we could say Abzuzu's but by this time he had uh, had enough Abzuzu and his, his bullshit excuse my French see according to Matthew Flowers Pazuzu had sexually assaulted at least two people one of whom was a soldier and this this really pissed off Matthew who himself was a soldier like he didn't like Pazuzu attacking another another soldier and he got so fed up with Pazuzu that according to him he told the police that if you don't do something about Pazuzu I will. Now, Matthew was involved in this case because he was married at one point to Dixie Ross. Yes, the Dixie Ross who previously appeared in the story helping bury a man's body. After Matt told police about what Dixie had told him about the burial of a body, she then was called in to tell her side of the story. See, all the chickens are coming home to roost at this point. All the various people who have been involved doing all sorts of shit. Well, they're all now starting to talk to the, talk to the police, and she said that approximately five years earlier, in 2009, Amber and her had a conversation in which, to her understanding, Amber admitted the intent to commit premeditated murder by saying, I'm going to do my first. You know, just like Paz. According to Dixie, on the 3rd of October 2009, Amber sent her text messages Basically trying to get her to come around to the house as she needed Dixie's help urgently. Dixie went over. She found Amber sitting on the front porch. And when she saw Dixie arrive, she had a big old shitty grin on her face. And she said, I just done did my first. 
And now Dixie's story, it's confirming the same story about when Tommy Welch was last seen. He was also last seen on the 3rd of October. Yeah. And that's when Cynthia said she saw a man being shot on her couch. It's all coming together. Yep. So, uh, Dixie, she walked in that evening, the 3rd of October. She walked in, she saw Pazuzu jumping up and down uh, on Tommy, on his dead body. Uh, but by this stage, she jumped up and down on Tommy's dead body so much he'd hurt his ankle. And he was now incapable of moving him. He is so fucking stupid. Ah, bless. Yeah, exactly. Poor Bubba. He's so fucking stupid, he couldn't even move him because he had been having such a good time with his dead body. That's why Dixie was called. They needed help moving the body, and Pazuzu had hurt his weed with a wanku. So, the two women, Amber and Dixie, they grabbed a shovel each. They started to dig a hole in the middle of the garden. They were struggling. And they only managed to dig a few feet in the deep hole before Pazuzu came out and ordered them to put the body inside the hole. Now they told him they didn't believe it was deep enough or big enough to fit Tommy in there. Pazuzu's answer to this was, Bitch, there is plenty of room for you in this yard too. Ooh. Zing! <laughs> that's good. That's yeah, a zinger. <laughs> I know, that's good. I like it. Whoa, dude. He really had a hold over these people. Mm-hmm. Like, he was so manipulative. Yeah, you think, like, Dixie didn't just do a, whoops, like, 180. You know, like that scene in The Simpsons when Grandpa Simpson walks into the whorehouse and he oh, yeah. walks out and he sees Bart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think yeah. it's what most people would do. Just yeah. don't stop walking. Just uh, do the whole 180. But no, Dixie. And according to her, it was Pazuzu and Amber who dragged Tommy's body into the hole, pushed him in there, and he, he didn't fit. So the two of them came up with the bright spark idea to break his limbs to make him fit in the hole. They began striking him with shovels to no avail. They then were like, ah, fuck it, it'll do. Cover him up with a lot of dirt, put a tarp on top of him. Another job, another job well done. And during this time, Cynthia, Pazuzu's mother, she came outside to eavesdrop and Pazuzu shouted at her to get the fuck back inside. As I said, it's interesting how Cynthia was behaving um, during all of this, even though, you know, she was present at multiple murders at her house by this stage. She, sh- she still, I, she genuinely must have been in fear of Pazuzu at She this had point. to be scared. Yeah. yeah. She locked in her room completely the whole time. I think like what started off as her just ignoring the situation and hoping it would go away has, yeah. as I said, turned into genuine fear. he's such fear. a sweet boy. Yeah, I think I'd, like she defended him quite a bit. Uh, even like in recent documentaries and stuff like she still kind of defended him but yeah I think at the time definitely very fearful and because this guy he was he was off the rail yeah exactly like for for when one got when Josh Joshua Wetzler was murdered Cynthia was getting ready for another day and she was getting ready for work she came out of her room uh, and saw Pazuzu with a gun in his hand pointing it at Joshua she then, whoops, I was going to, uh, I think I forgot something back in my room. And then as she was in a room, she heard something along the lines of, okay, I'll just go ahead and finish him off. Gunshot. And then she just kind of walked outside without trying to see anything. I completely forgot that she was still going to work throughout all this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she had a job. Yeah. I forgot. How could she sleep? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Because they were like playing death metal. Oh, yeah, my. exactly. And shitting in the corners of the, of the rooms, like mad shit. But... She did finally go to the police to report the death of Tommy. But when she did report the death of Tommy, she said Amber shot him. Uh, Zuzu wasn't even mentioned at all. Also, by that time, Joshua was already buried in the back garden, which Cynthia knew. Yet she said nothing about the murder or the fact that it was her son who committed it. 
At the end, finally, after years of limbo and frustration, a search warrant for Pazuzu's house was issued and executed on the 5th of October 2014. And so, for the folks at home, they can you can easily find videos of walkthroughs of Pazuzu's house. Shithole is the only apt and fitting word, I think, there is of how bad the house is. It is very, very, very nasty. A list of items found at the scene included, but were not limited to, swords, machetes, knives, photographs of what? I do not know. And the couch that Tommy was shot and killed on. The biggest incriminating evidence, of course, were the remains of Josh and Tommy, and they were found exactly at the spots they were informed they would be at. The remains they were taken in for further examination, and it was determined that both men had been shot, Josh at least seven times, three times to the head, four times to his torso using a 22 caliber rifle, and Tommy was shot at least once in the head. And Pazuzu and Amber were arrested that very same day and charged with first-degree murder and accessory after the fact. While a third person, who we have yet to meet in this case, a Crystal Matlock, was arrested the very next day, the 6th of October 2014, and charged with accessory after the fact of homicide. And she was held on a quarter of a million dollars bail, while the others were held without any bond whatsoever. Now, Crystal was the person that helped bury Josh's body. She was also another one of Pazuzu's fiancés. Now, why Dixie, who helped Murray bury Tommy's body, was never charged? Don't know. That's a good point. She was never charged with it, uh, even though she readily admitted that she had seen dead body and helped bury it. Uh, maybe she made, I don't know, a deal with the state or... Maybe the fact that she was threatened by Pazuzu into committing the crime that was a mitigating factor. Maybe just, maybe they saw her as a victim too. I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past the police just to, well, forgotten about it. Yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, shit. Oh my god, damn it. That was a bias. <laughs> yeah, it was something. It, it is weird though, while Crystal, who helped bury one body, Dixie helped bury the other, and Dixie wasn't charged. Due to the state of the crime scene, the search and investigation lasted two and a half weeks. It took them two and a half weeks to go through the entire house. And it was eventually declared unfit for human habitation. Unfit for human habitation, wow. There was rotting animal carcasses. They were found everywhere in the house, along with feces, mold, hundreds of flies, rubbish covering the floors, roofing literally falling in, like holes in the ceiling. And of course, there was the dreaded altar room, which was in such a vile state that people had to enter wearing a hazmat suit. I like the sound of it. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. I'm very, very curious to know what was in there. Very metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this house was eventually released back to Cynthia on the 21st of October 2014. I'm sure she was very, very grateful to have that house back. Uh, but she was only allowed to live in it if the house, if necessary actions were taken uh, by her, which basically just meant she had to fix up the house if she wanted to keep living there. Well, the bank eventually turned around and they foreclosed the house and it was demolished in April 2015 in a site that was celebrated. I don't know, grand old party. The neighbors were. The nightmare was finally over. The house filled with horror was gone from Knob Hill Drive. Now, the three criminals, though, were awaiting trial. That was Pazuzu, Amber and Crystal. And on the 28th of October 2015, Pazuzu Algarad was found dead in his prison cell at around 3 a.m. 
He was found with an incised wound on his left arm that had basically cut open his artery and he'd bled out. It was, it hadn't been, it wasn't determined what he had used to self-inflict the cut. Some have speculated that he used his sharpened teeth to bite open his own arm. But it's never been confirmed. Yeah, I don't think Adam was ever released about it. Yeah, but what was interesting was that on the night of the 27th of October, which would have been the night that he would have died, it was a full moon. Yeah. It seems that Pazuzu made his final offering during his very last Black Moon Ceremony. Yeah. His final offering was himself. He's not more consistent. That's true. That's true. He kept it up. Fair play to him. Fair play to you. <laughs> As for Amber, his wife, uh, she was found guilty of second degree murder, armed robbery, and accessory after the fact of first degree murder in March 2017. She was sentenced to 30 to 40 years in prison. Her projected release date is the 20th of May, 2045. Kimberly... She pleaded guilty to accessory after the fact of second-degree murder, which was helping bury Joshua's body, and she was sentenced to a minimum of three years, two months, to a maximum of four years, ten months, in June 2017. And so ends the tale of Pazuzu Algarad, the devil man, and the lives that were forever ruined by him just being a mad old son of a bitch. It really all started with him drinking 12-packs at 13 years of age. Yeah. Live and learn, people. Live and learn. Live and learn. Don't start drinking when you're, you know, 12 years of age. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. Yeah. This was just like, this was a clusterfuck of those awful events. Mm. Like Pazoo, he slipped through the the, the, the the mental health and criminal justice systems. A lot of times, due to lack of resources, he should have been locked up and the key thrown away a long time before he even met Josh or Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, I mean, he clearly just needed a lot of help too, you know what I mean? Um, there was all the times like he'd been in, in and out of psychiatric facilities and there was no plan for him. I mean, you know, he was just kind of off, off you trot, off you go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was like, wow, what a surprise. He became more and more insane and started doing more and more hardcore shit, which eventually led to at least two murders that we know of, possibly three. Yeah. God knows how many others. Yeah. Yeah. He, cause he was. Always bragging about murder sport, as you said. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, Pazuzu. Just check once. Oh, classic Pazuzu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If one of your friends says I've killed someone, check in. Yeah, exactly. Just see how they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just do a double check, I think. I think that's the way to go. Just, <laughs> yeah. Maybe just take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Although, if you told me you murdered somebody, I would never believe you. I might be doing it for your content. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm running out of time. It's Keith. <laughs> I need your help. Do us a solid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this old podcast. I very, very much appreciate it. Keith, thank you yes. for joining me once again on the That Chapter podcast. It's good to see you, my man. You too, man. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. That's just, is that no, your quote? You said that you said the same thing last episode too. I said it last time. Okay, saying it again. All right. Whatever. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, no problems for me. Um, but yeah, Keith, I'm sure you will be on again sometime soon. Always good to have you. Uh, next time, I think let's go back to a spooky ghost story. How's that sound? I like the sound of that. A bit more paranormal. Ooh. Yeah, sounds good. A bit yeah. On the darker side. Yeah. Hell yeah. Alright, let's do it. Um, But yeah, here, listen, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, please, if you could rate and review the podcast, that helps out tremendously. So, I'll see you when I see you, or you'll hear me when you hear me, but until the next one, take care of each other and yourselves because... I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Bye, guys.